Well, good morning, Spruce Grove Community Church. How are we doing this morning? Man, I, and let me tell you something. I believe God wants to do something this morning. Do you believe that? Amen. So let's see what he wants to do, which means we're going to put everything aside, all the stuff, and we're going to choose to honor him, to give him our full attention. We're going to choose to worship him. We're going to choose to praise him. And we're going to join in with him today, right? Because he's got a plan. And we want to join in with that plan. So this morning, if you're watching online, we welcome you as well. If you're new to Community Church, we just want to say we're so glad you're here. Enjoy yourself today, and we pray God touches you. Father, we ask that you would come into our midst this morning. That your Holy Spirit would fall upon this church. That your Holy Spirit would fall upon this community. Father, this morning, that something would shift in every life every person that has walked in this church. Holy Spirit, we pray right now something will shift in their life today. So Holy Spirit, fall on this church. We choose to honor you. We choose to give you glory and worship. We love you. In Jesus' name, can we say amen? Let's worship him this morning. ask you a question. How many of you have been through the fire? Put your hand up. How many of you have been through the fire? Yeah. Because I can tell you, I know right now there are some people in the house that are in the middle of the fire right now. And let me tell you something. God just wants to pause in this moment to say this, right? All those hands you just saw up of people who have been through the fire, let it be a testimony to you of what God can do. Because the goodness of God is in this room. So whatever fire you're in right now, I just want you to put your hands in the air because I believe the Holy Spirit wants to touch you right now. So Father God, before we shift, before we do anything, we are making room and your Holy Spirit wants to touch people right now. Your Holy Spirit wants to heal people right now. And there are people in this room right now that are going through the fire. So Holy Spirit, we just ask right now, come and touch them. Come and fall upon them in Jesus' name. The kids, the adults, everybody in the building, God. Father, just touch their bodies, touch their finances, touch their relationships, touch everything that's going on in their lives. And we pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ that the goodness of God would fall on everyone in this room. Can we say amen? Come on, can we say amen? Yeah, by faith we're going to take this, right? Yeah. All right. So here's what I sense happening in the room right now is the only language I can come up with is an anointing of love sickness. An anointing of love sickness. You know how when we draw close to the presence of God, we start to notice our own weakness, our own lack. And it's almost like, oh, I'm weak at the knees. I'm weak at the knees. But if we continue to surrender ourselves into the, the love sickness of God, He shows us the fullness of Himself. He shows us the goodness of Himself. He shows us His kindness. 
He shows us his anointing. He shows us his glory. He shows us his beauty. And we become weak at the knees by that. We become taken away by that. It's almost like uh, our strength fails before him. It's almost like we don't have the words to be able to say how beautiful it is to stand in his presence. It's almost like we don't have enough in us to declare how good he is and how beautiful he is. But one of the things that God loves is when we take what we have, like our crowns and our hearts and our sound, even if it isn't full and even if it isn't perfect, and we lay it before him. And, and we lift it up to him and it becomes a sweet fragrance to his nostrils and it becomes a beautiful sound to his ears and he adds his oil to it and it becomes so full in the room and I want you to know that that is the process of bringing heaven to earth that's what's happening in heaven right now is that the elders are laying down their crowns and all they say day and night and night and day is holy holy Holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they cry it over and over and over again. And so we're going to follow that model of heaven and we're going to pour out what we have. We're going to lay down what we have. We're going to pour it out before him today. We're not going to hold back. We're going to lay it out before him and we're going to say, let it be a sweet sound. Let it be a fragrance to your nostrils, oh God, because we see your goodness and your holiness and your beauty and we lay our worship out before you now. Let's do that today. Let's pour it out. Let's join with heaven. Let's join with the elders and bow down before him. You know, Pastor Mark talked to probably a month or so back about holiness. You know, and the word tells us that we are to be holy as he is holy. And these are those moments where that begins to come to fruition. When we begin to put down every part of us and just choose to honor and glorify the king. Why? Because he's worthy. That's it, because he is worthy. Well, it's so good to be back. And if you didn't know where I was, I'd spent a few days in Nashville, and then I was in Guatemala uh, as a part of a uh, significant event that was going on with some friends of ours in Guatemala and had the privilege of preaching at uh, uh, Apostle Robin Garcia's church in Antigua. And uh, so it was really great. But I'm so glad to be back. I was sitting at the back for a bit there, and just the presence of the Lord is just so amazing. It is, it is so beautiful. And I pray that if you're here in this room and you find yourself somewhat alien to that blissful, penetrating energy of the God's love, I pray today that even through the message that I'm sharing, that the eyes of your understanding would be opened and that you would begin to drink in on an entirely new level what God has made available for each of us. You know, it's, it seems such a shame, and I think we're all going to realize one day that we could have had more. 
I think we're all going to stand before the Lord and we're going to realize, and I've said this before and I say it all the time and I know you might be getting sick of it, but you're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to realize it wasn't him, it was me that was holding back. What a shock that's going to be when we thought, you know, we could spend our years in bitterness thinking it's so unfair and people we thought were, were less worthy than us got so many things from the Lord and then we're going to stand before us and realize, no, we were, we were the log jam. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be horrible? What, what if you could just find out now instead of later? Wouldn't that be great? I think so. Let's lean in today because I believe there's something in the air today that God can give us that can open up some avenues of receiving from him. You know, this, this week, um, actually, it just happened that a couple weeks ago, I was watching, you know, how you comb down the, the, the line looking at videos, little things on, on YouTube or, or Facebook, and I saw a testimony, and it was pictures of two well-known historical figures who are healing evangelists, and in the photographs of their meetings, there was a blue lightning that appeared in the air around them. And, uh, and I thought, oh, that's, that's really interesting. It's not surprising to me. I, I really believe that there's a, a place where the realms converge, the natural and the spiritual realms converge, and these things can be caught on it. If you've ever, uh, you know, you've probably seen some of those things over the years. But, but this week, as I got back, I got a call from a, a revivalist friend of ours, a younger man, and, and he was super excited. He said we were, we were in San Diego and we were driving, and we were talking about, I can't remember what he said we were talking about. He said, suddenly, blue lightning struck the car inside the car and hit my side. And he said, when we got to the meeting and began to minister, a whole different dimension of prophetic began to open up. And, uh, and the, the thing that was, what he kept saying over and over, but it's not just for a few it's not just for a couple people. And you've heard me talk about this before. God always does something with one in order to show the many that it's possible, not to set that one up separately on a, on a pedestal. It's always to say, this too is for you. And even Moses, you know, when they came and they said, we saw people prophesying, we forbade them. And he said, don't be jealous on my account. I would that all the people were prophets. So God's not holding back, right? God's not just giving something to a few. He does that to give you the sense of the possibility that, that you can have it too. And sometimes we look at those people, we start critiquing, you know, we think, you know, I'm not sure if I were God, I would have given that to that person. Well, then that, if that's truly the case, then that makes you an even more likely candidate. So grab a hold of it. <laughs> right? I mean, if he chose the least of these, then, then you qualify. So what's our problem, right? So, uh, so the, the Lord is, is moving us in that direction, and I, I don't want to talk about that too much. I can get caught in that rut, and it's a great rut to be in. But um, I have this message here. I shared a part of it, a different part of it in Guatemala, but it's, it's seeing the unseen. But it, particularly, I want to talk about the requirements for true sight. You know, because it's, it's true that if some people get, have something that we don't have, there's a reason they have it. All right? There, there's a reason they have it. And it might not be because, you know, they're as diligent as you. You know, sometimes when we're diligent, we think, you know, diligence is the most important thing. 
<laughs> right? You know, whatever we do is the most important thing, right? Whatever we're good at, we, we hold that up somehow, you know, as, as the elitist thing. But then you suddenly realize that God is choosing others and bypassing us. It's like, uh, what's that about? Doesn't God see my diligence? Does, doesn't God see this thing that I'm doing so effectively? Well, evidently, it's not as important as this other thing that this other guy has in spades, you know, there was a, a man, a young man named, uh, uh, oh, well, there's Joseph, but I wasn't thinking, Jacob, Jacob and Esau, right? And you've heard me talk about this again before, but I love this because Jacob was not the, the candidate that everybody thought he was. Do you know that? Esau, he was a hunter. He was a man's man. He was, you know, he was testosterone imploding on the earth, right? He was, he, and, and, and the one holding on to his mama's skirt, right? That's the one that God chose. And he said, Esau, have I hated? Jacob, have I loved? So what's that about, right? Evidently, there's a criteria that God has that we don't understand or appreciate or equally share. Why am I saying that? Because I want... I feel like we need to be prepared to shift our value system to align with God's value system. And as long as we keep holding on to our particular preferences as to who God should and should not anoint, we we exclude ourselves from becoming that thing that God loves. And Jacob have I loved. And so so let's let's be prepared to to let go today, amen. Now next week we're, uh, we're here with uh, some friends of mine, Art Lucier and Barry Miracle. And it's interesting, and I, I know this is out on video, but some, some people I know don't like Barry Miracle. They don't like his hairstyle. <laughs> right? right? Uh, I mean, I, I'm always amazed. I, I get around circles. Pretty good people. Pretty good people. And I hear these subtle criticisms about others whom God is using. And I, I don't understand it. It's like, who, who told you you get to choose? Like, like why, don't, why don't I just find out what it is it that God likes in that guy? Yeah. I mean, if God chose him, right, what, what is it about him? Okay, I might say, well, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't do that. Well, that's, that's, go ahead, learn. But get the thing that made them God's first choice. Golly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we got two amazing men coming, Art Lucier. And some of us here, you know, there's people say, well, he's a little rough. You know, so? <laughs> That's what they said about Jesus, right? You know, he, he wasn't particularly affectionate towards the Pharisees. He told them, you know, called them all kinds of names, right? Well, come on. Anyway, so I want to get into this. Seeing the unseen, because there's more available to us than we know. And it's not being held back because God doesn't want to give it to you. He's looking for every possible reason to give it to you. God is just that kind of God. But here's, here's, here, here's the, the main issue. The more you see, the more you believe you see. And that's a problem. You know, how many of you have seen that skit com with, uh, you know, the, the physicist guy? What's his name? Sheldon. Big Bang Theory. And, and he says one day, he says, because he's brilliant, he sees a lot. I mean, he, he, he feels the world, he detects, he, he's astute. I mean, it's, and nobody sees as much as him. So he says one day, he says, don't, don't you think if I was wrong, I would know it? <laughs> like, that's, that's the fallacy that comes with seeing a lot, is you think you see everything that can be seen. 
And so seeing a lot can be an impediment to being able to see more. And so uh, because you just assume that anything that's available, you already have. On the other hand, the less you realize you see, the more you want to see. As soon as God begins to show you that you didn't see something, it, it creates a sense of weakness, humility, a, a sense that I need something I don't have. So I want to put it out there. The premise of today's message is you need something you don't have, and there's something out there that you think you might see, but you don't see. And I'm telling you, this plays out on, on every level of the church, every level of the kingdom that you can imagine. It happens again and again and again, because let me give you a quick snapshot. So many ruts to go into. It's so fun. <laughs> but but I realized as I was in Guatemala and listening to some folks there that I began to see the revelation that they were seeing, but I began to see the layers of it that were still beyond them, that they were giving really the very coarse outline of a truth that had depths that were beyond comprehension. But if you start using the same language and talking to somebody about that stuff, uh, and you have a deeper understanding of it, you can you you know when they respond back to you whether they're understanding what what you're saying. I can't tell you how many times I start to talk to somebody about something. Maybe let's say metaspheres because I've just written a book on that and I I love that revelation. But I start to talk about somebody and and they start talking in a very generic way about atmosphere and presence. Oh yeah, I felt God's presence, and I and you can tell right away whether they have that depth of understanding or not. But if you share the idea of, of a revelation, oh, God is good. God is good. Well, how good is he? Really good. Well, the goodness of God has unimaginable layers of depth. And the truth is, while we can all use, share, use that shared language of God is good all the time. And all the time. Yeah, right? So we know that. Let's talk about something else. We know that one. Right? Layers. Layers. There are layers to everything we think we know beyond our perception. And God is saying, who, who has the humility to know that there's a layer in the goodness of God, in the love of God, and things we already thematically are familiar with that we have no idea about? That if we would just give up the presumption that we know, we would open ourselves to more layers of that thing, which would translate to a, in a more effective life as we, as we actually are able to convey those deeper things that we thought we knew. That's, that's what's available to us. And once the veil is pulled back and we start to see, get a glimpse of the eternal dimensions of these things we think we know, we're going to be astounded shocked and even humiliated that we didn't lean in harder because we thought we knew. Oh God, deliver us from the presumption of thinking we know, I pray in Jesus' name. So here's the question, what can be seen? What, what is out there? What is, you know, and because part of the issue is, well, you know, for what I'm called to do, I, I, I can, I, I only see a certain amount. And that's great. And you should be faithful in that. But what if, what if that wasn't it? What if, what if it, that, that was limited not by God's decision, but by your decision? You know, and because we are given, you know, degrees of grace that cause us to see things. But what if there's more to be seen? And it's not based on God's gifting. 
or God's premeditated decision before the foundations of the earth? What if he intended for much more for you? Now listen to this, Colossians 1.16. I was reading this uh, this last, last week, and uh, uh, it's a very familiar passage. I'm going to read about four or five passages, so if you have a Bible. I, I know you've all memorized this, but, you know. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth. Now, I haven't looked at it, but I assume the heaven there is not heaven heaven where he lives, but heaven, you know, the heavens around the earth, the universe. But this is, this is the part I love. Heaven and the things that are on earth, visible and invisible. God created all things that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible. There are things on the earth that are visible. I think, I think we've seen some of them. But there are things on the earth that are invisible, undetectable to the human eye, imperceptible to the senses, the five senses, invisible. How many of those things are there? Some? Maybe many? Maybe a plethora. Oh, yeah. It's also an English lesson. (laughs) Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And this is what I want to begin to open up. There are things that are visible, but there are things that are invisible. And we are trying to bring a cause and effect of the kingdom of God into the earth. It has to happen because we see what is invisible. What, you, what is invisible is the catalyst and the source for everything that is the kingdom of God. And if you don't see or perceive or interact with the invisible, you will be hampered in what you can minister or deliver to the people. I mean, if you think the gospel is just a series of words, you know, that can be summed up in a spiritual law or four spiritual laws, you're mistaken. No, it's not information. It's not data. There's a knowledge of God that's invisible, that gives dimensions to what we otherwise think as data, which, which can change hearts on a scale that we don't even know. But it's the invisible, the invisible in fact, Hebrews 11.3 says that the invisible things are what make up the visible world. The invisible things are the, are the foundations, the building blocks for everything you see. So if you're going to change the visible world, you have to start in the invisible world. But if you don't see it and you're not sure it's there and you're only guessing and you only say it's true because you read it in the Bible, you're not going to do anything in a convincing fashion. Right? Are you with me? All right, now, I'm not going to go to these scriptures, but they're so good. Maybe I'll go to one. Proverbs, listen to this. Proverbs, it's talking about the creation. He says, when he prepared the heavens, I was there, verse 27. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountain of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters would not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, there I was beside him as a master craftsman. What is it it saying? Well, it's saying that there are boundaries given to the seas that they should not cross. Can you see those boundaries? Is it the shore? Is it the sand? Is Is it something in this visible world? No, there are boundaries that are invisible because there's a visible world and an invisible world. 
Father, open our eyes to the invisible world, I pray. Acts chapter 17 talks about nations and peoples and how God has pre-appointed the, the places and the times of their dwelling. That means the lines that separate countries and peoples and tribes are not arbitrary. They're not accidental. They're determined by measurements, by configurations that originate in the invisible realm. Do we know how to manage those? How we, how we, do we even believe they're there? Wow. See, this thing goes way deeper than we know. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Love it. Oh, I've got to try and stay on course here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, so I'll read a, a couple more scriptures. i got quite a few. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 to 18. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, Paul says, listen, this is what we're doing. We're looking at the unseen. I want you to think about it. Does that define you? Does that define your daily walk? Does that define your existence? How much of your energy and your focus is, is around getting the seen things right, and how much of it is tapping into the unseen to get the seen things right? I mean, Paul is saying, listen, there are, there's unseen things and everything I'm doing, everything I'm about is tapping into that realm. Now, you might be a fresh believer. You might be here a couple of weeks, maybe just saved last week. Who knows? I don't know. And, and, but vision is progressive. Vision is absolutely progressive. But here, let me, let me give you a shock. It's not dependent upon how many weeks you've been in the church. The pure in heart, it says, will see God. Oh, I'm getting a little ahead of myself now. But, uh, but what I'm saying is that there are spiritual virtues which determine sight other than experience and amount of months and weeks spent in the church. When I got saved, I got saved because I was sitting in a bar in Grand Center, Alberta, and the glory of the Lord came on me in the bar. And it, the transformation, the encounter was so deep, I couldn't even explain it to anybody. And I've had several such experiences. But when I went to Bible college, I could see and feel things that nobody else could. And I, I realized after a little while, I got to stop talking about these things because people are like, you know, they, they, they're not sure about me. Because what I didn't, I didn't display the necessary character equal to somebody who should see these things. Like, who are you to think you're privileged to see these things when you can't even stop swearing? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm trying. It just slipped out. <laughs> First week of Bible school. But, but here, here's the thing. God is about to pull thousands, tens of thousands from the streets and the highways and the byways and they're going to hunger and thirst for righteousness and they're going to be given sight beyond what many are sitting in the pews have and we're going to wonder why them. Because 
If we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will be filled. But you know, sometimes, well, we're getting along quite fine in the status quo. The church as it is right now has afforded me many privileges and pleasures. I'm, I'm fitting right there in the middle. I get, I go to church and I don't look totally weird. I, I don't stand out too much on the extreme side and I'm not lagging too far behind. I'm good. Well, the pace of the church is about to change. The pace of spiritual, the unfolding of the natural and the spiritual is about to shift. And suddenly those that were just middle of the road are going to find them behind. I was going to give a, uh, a agricultural example there, but it might not work in church. So... So Paul says, listen, this is my disposition. I'm always looking at the invisible realm. And then if you skip ahead about 10 verses into this next chapter, he says, for we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Faith is the means to give you sight into the invisible realm. And God wants you to have sight. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, why that person? And, and, and sometimes, again, we've done this. We, we think, well, okay, maybe I don't see angels, but at least I'm punctual. Right? Because Pastor Mark, he, he loves punctuality. So, so you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, okay, I'm not prophesying and having dreams and visions and angels aren't pouring oil down my snout, but hey, I arrived to church on time. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't have to be either or. <laughs> right? You could be punctual and see angels. <laughs> now, <laughs> I've never seen an angel, you know, so I'm not saying this is a prerequisite to being here. In fact, I, 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 compared to a lot of people, I haven't seen anything. I've had some significant experiences, but I'm not a seer. Everything I see and feel is kind of one step removed from the seers. I was just with a, a, a renowned prophet in Kansas City, and he was talking to me about, uh, that's the reference about the snout thing, but he was talking to me, he said, last time I had a visitation from the Lord. The Lord said, I'm going to cleanse you from the religious, uh, religious something or other, dogma or something, anyway. And an angel appeared with a vial of oil. He said he whipped the back, the back, he grabbed the back of my head, pulled on my hair, and pulled me back a big bit to pour oil up, up my nostrils. <laughs> I can say, I uh, safely say I've never had that experience. <laughs> but, but, but here's the reality sometimes we'll sit in a meeting and we'll hear that and we'll, 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 we'll assign that to the category of, well, I'm not so sure about that. I, I don't know if God actually does that. And surely, I mean, if he were going to do that, he would be doing that to me. <laughs> right? So I'm on the fence here. <laughs> Vision is progressive. Not only is it progressive for us, it was progressive for the apostles. Not everybody on the apostolic team that Jesus had saw the same. You know, some saw more than others. And that's why Peter and John and James got to go places the other guys didn't. That's why John was the one who leaned on Jesus' Jesus' breast. You know why? Because he drew nearer, not because he was favored more highly. He was the disciple that Jesus loved, but because he drew nearer. I don't know. Maybe you've discovered this. I like people that like me. My tendency is to let them in closer. 
<laughs> you know, when I feel a lot of judgment and criticism and accusation, you know, it's like, yeah, stay out there. <laughs> Jesus was the same way. He let John in not because, you know, he was gifted by God to be the closest, but no, he, he dealt with any unbelief. He leaned in. He believed. He, he, he put his own opinions aside and said, I, I believe. I believe. I believe. And Peter was the same way. One of the guys that wasn't so gifted was Thomas. Remember Thomas? Yeah. What was his nickname? Yeah. Doubting Thomas, right? So it says in uh, John 20, verse 24, it says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, who was not with them when Jesus came, and the others, this is after the resurrection. And the other's uh, disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said, Unless I see his hands and prints of the nails and put my fingers into the prints of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut. Well, there you go. And stood in the midst and said, Peace be you. And then he said to Thomas, Hey, Thomas. <laughs> Remember me? <laughs> well, I'm ad living. Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not... Be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <sighs> this, is, this is the issue. You have to believe before you see but if you wait to see before you believe, you're not doing this the way God ordained. And this is the essential message that Jesus was giving the Pharisees. He was actually offering them an opportunity. And so he said things that were confusing to them, and they wanted him to prove. They wanted him to explain it. They wanted him to, to, to from the point of this realm, data, proof, you know, pictures, photos, illustrations, do a miracle right here so that we can believe. He said, no. Why? Because all of that is coming out of unbelief. And I know how unbelief works. It can only be put to death. Unbelief has to be put to death. It's never satisfied. Because as soon as I do a miracle, and then you're going to, what's the trick behind that? It's like, oh, man, he's really good. Sleight of hand. Like, I didn't even see where that card came from. Right? That's what, that's what unbelief does. It already decides it wasn't supernatural and miraculous. There's no satisfying this. The guys, the guys are there. They have the blind man. The Pharisees are examining him. They're interrogating him. He, he said, so what, what happened? Well, he spit on the ground and he put it in my eye. And I didn't see before. I, I don't see now. Really? Really? Tell us again. And he, well, let's find his parents. Is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. Well, how can he see? Well, I don't know. And they, and they, turn, and they turn to him and say, tell us again. Dudes, it doesn't get any more simple. He spit on the ground. He put dirt in my eyes, and now I see. But unbelief cannot accept the testimony of faith. And unbelief cannot even see what's plainly right before its eyes. 
That's how disposed unbelief is. Jesus said it about the Pharisees. He said, Jerusalem, he said, if the things that were done here were done entire and sudden, they would have repented in sackcloth. Sackcloth. Sackcloth, just like, yeah, succotash, yeah. Which, you know, you, it makes you think, well, why didn't he go to Sire and, 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 Sidon and, Sidon and Tyre and do those things? Right? Why didn't he do those things up there? Because God doesn't give you so much that you have to believe. He gives you just enough so you can venture to believe. Ah, oh, that was good. Somebody write that down. Because he wants you to believe. The objective is faith. To be able to step out on the water. If you have proof, then faith is not necessary. Hope which is seen is not hope. But faith is a substance of what's not seen. And so, uh, so Thomas, yeah, sucks to be you. <laughs> That's the Greek. But there's a path to sight. There's a path to more vision. So it doesn't matter where you're starting from. It doesn't matter if you think I'm the most dull person in here, my wife, my husband, they're always seeing, they're always having experiences. I'm sitting here like, really? God's in the room? How did you know? It doesn't matter how far or where you are or what you don't feel right now. You have to believe. Now, I don't know how much of this... See, God has tailored our, our journey to us in particular. And so you don't, you, you don't want to start by comparing what you have and what you don't have with the person next to you. Because you don't know why they get what they get and why you don't get what they, you'd like to get. You don't know why. Because there's a lot more. Even though I've gotten a lot, I still want a lot more that I haven't gotten. So let's not compare ourselves with each other. Still, the principle is true. Sight is progressive in that there is a prescription for more sight. Now, in John chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, and this goes to one of the essential things, okay? Uh, let me read the whole, it's about six verses here. Jesus heard, now, this is following the, the, the guy who got healed, right? They, they threw him out. Finally, he didn't explain it good enough, right? So they threw him out. And it says, when Jesus heard that they had cast him out, when they found him, he said to them, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered, well, who is he, Lord, <laughs> that I may believe in him? He said, eh, me. <laughs> you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. Then he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I come into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may be made blind. This is important. This is important. And it's not, you know, when God is doing things like this, when he comes in and he's not separating believers from unbelievers. Like, okay, church people, you're over on that side, but this is the way I deal with just unbelievers. No, this is how I deal with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So 
This is how I deal with believers in their progressive desire for more vision or their inability to step into it. And it's how I deal with unbelievers as well because I've come. This is an overriding kingdom principle. Those that see will be made blind and those who cannot see will give it, be given sight. That's what God wants. I want you to know right now, I, and I had a word in the lodge. I was standing at the back. There are some of you right now that you feel like you don't see anything. You feel like you don't go into certain realms. When we, we talk about worship, when we talk about layers and experiences, you feel like you're, everything is flat for you. I want you to know that a day right around the corner is coming where you will suddenly be given a perception that you don't have now. If you follow the prescription I'm about to give you, it is available so he says to them, and he keeps going, he says, uh, the Pharisees who were there and they heard these words, and he said to them, are we blind also? Now you've got to realize these are, these are the brilliant people of the, of the culture. These are the people that are educated. These are the people that are wealthy. These are the people that have made out extremely well in Judaism. I mean, they're the ones who can tuck and run. They can, they can pretend to be whatever they want to be. And so they, they have an ability for pretense. They are the A actors of that culture. You know, they could put on a, I really like you face, even if they are sending daggers your way. Like, this is what they were. They had an ability to suppress their true thoughts, their true, value, true values. Their, you know, they were actors. They were, uh, they were the ones that were superior in every conceivable way. So they, they thought, they held the rest of the population in contempt. They thought, we see things, you guys, you have no idea. You bunch of losers out there. And then Jesus come along and saying, no, I, I like these guys better. Imagine how that went well with them. Didn't go very well. Do you think, are, are we also blind? And this is what Jesus said. This is powerful. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. This is a powerful kingdom principle, and it comes down to this. If you believe you see everything that can be seen, you will remain as you are. But if you start to believe that there's something real, there's something authentic, there's something invisible, there's something undetectable that I cannot see, and rather than hold these people in contempt and call them pretenders who are actually, might possibly be seeing, I'm going to begin to humble myself to wonder why, why is God showing that to them when I'm a lot smarter? Why is God doing that for them when I'm a lot prettier? Why is God doing that for them when I'm a lot richer? Like, you know, we have this this system that elevates ourselves so we secretly resent when God gives some things to people we don't think are deserving because we believe we are. That, that pride, that self-focus, that, that, that contempt for others that you, we, we can carry but hide is the reason we don't see. And what Jesus is saying, saying Pharisees, because you say you see, and you hold it, and, and you doubt anybody who says they see something you don't see, you immediately castigate that person. I feel like I'm hitting something in the spirit right now. There, there, there's, this, there's this thing in the spirit, a secret value system. I'm hitting at the value system that maybe some of us 
you know, we ride on all of our all of our days. Maybe it's what makes us get up in the morning. Maybe it's what gives us the courage to face the world. Whatever it is, it needs to go because it's the foundation for our blindness and our lack of sight. Oh, Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name. Uh, now, let me say something about sight here. Uh, <laughs> uh, let me let me tell you how difficult sight is. Uh, sometimes things are plainly clear in the natural, and we don't see them. Right? Have you ever, wives, you ever seen your husband a little overweight, a little out of shape, and he goes by the mirror and he sucks it in, and then with a sense of satisfaction walks away. <laughs> And you're thinking, you're not seeing what I'm seeing. <laughs> you know, I still got it. <laughs> sure you do. <laughs> right? Sometimes we don't see ourselves that accurately. And uh, sometimes, but, but here's the thing. When you're, when you're trying to bring somebody's performance up to things that are measurable, that's easy to do because, you, you know, you say, you say, look, I just measured how far you're jumping off the ground. You're only jumping 12 inches. No, I'm not. Well, okay, let's put this mark on the, well, jump up and touch the wall. We'll, we'll mark it where you touch and then we'll measure from your feet to, you know, your height and then from the feet and that's how far you've jumped. So it's, it's, it's very easy to show them the part that they're missing. Somebody's dancing, and you're, you're the dance instructor, and you're saying, okay, you know, when you do that particular movement, try and get a whole 90 degree. And they say, well, well I, I, I am. No. You can show them the video, right? And there was no 90 degrees there, and you're, you're flopping like a gazelle. You're, you're looking, you know, so it's easy to bring comparisons. We've done this with golf, right? You know, I don't know what's wrong with my swing. Well, it's because you don't see what I see. So, so we do a videotape of your swing, and then he starts saying, "Oh, what? That? That's why? That's what I'm doing? Clearly, that's bad." But those those things that we don't see that are in the natural are easily corrected because we have the means to mirror, to show you what 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 you're really like, what you're really doing. But when it comes to the intangibles about the spirit realm where there's no objective standards, right? People get in a room and somebody says, I feel like, you know, there's, there's no way to measure the validity of that feeling, objectively. It's like, you know, the measuring tape, you know, let me measure that. That's, a, that's 18 inches. And there's no way you saw 18 inches of vision. Uh, and so, uh, but there are things in the natural like that. For example, if you're a voice teacher... And you say to somebody, okay, uh, you're singing from your throat. You need to sing from your diaphragm. You know, you need to reach deeper. And it's like, it's like no, I'm not. <laughs> right? I've heard a few stories. Might be your kids. <laughs> but, but, you know, that, that sometimes kids, we, the, the, we're, we think we're doing something and we're not doing it. But we don't know the difference. And that's the problem. It's like, if you say to me, sing from your diaphragm, and I thought I was for 20 years, I'm going to be resistant to that information. Why? Because I think I see. I think I know. 
No, I, I've, I've been singing a long time, and people say I sing well. Yeah, may, you may sing well. You may be, in, you know, have enough intonation to get by, but you're not getting the full amount of what you could if you just move your source of sound from here to here. Yeah. You've got to reach deeper. But these things start to be obscure. Suddenly, when, you're st- when there's nothing you can tangibly show you, it's like when somebody will videotape them breathing. Like, how do you show them singing from their diaphragm versus not? Well, there should be more action here. It's, 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 it's obtuse. It's not very clear, right? So you, there's no way to show people what that is. You know, when I was first told that I was tone deaf, I, I didn't know I was tone deaf. And I'm not sure I even believe you, right? Because I have no way of measuring. I have no way of seeing. They have no way of showing me. Unless they record me. So so the thing is, there are levels, even in the natural things, of things that could be detected, which are beyond the scope of our ability. When I first married Wendy, I, she, I discovered she had this amazing gift, and the most amazing skill and capacity. She could smell anything from anywhere. That's, it makes it rough, yeah. I feel the empathy. Well, one day we're, we're out and, uh, sh- and we're sitting at a banquet table. There's eight of us at this table. There's hundreds of people in the room. She says, someone at our table has a waterbed. I said, what are you talking about? Somebody has a waterbed. They sleep on a waterbed every night. I said, how would you know a thing like that? I can smell it. No, you can't smell it. <laughs> like, you Really? Yeah, I can smell it. Waterbeds have a certain smell. And I, as soon as I get around somebody with a, with a waterbed, I can tell. Okay, guys, you may think this is weird, but who here owns a waterbed? Sure enough, the couple across the table from us, yeah, we, we, we sleep in a waterbed. Told you. <laughs> Why? I, I didn't know she could smell better than me. Like, you know, I, her, her smellermometer, you know, was... My, never told me that but see what I mean I didn't believe it was possible until it was objectively demonstrated to me our tendency is to not believe that people perceive things that we don't perceive we are our natural disposition is to suspect an untruth you're exaggerating you're embellishing you're you're pretending you're trying to be a way better smeller than me but everything goes with all of those senses. You know, remember when I first saw it was a Tiger Woods bouncing a ball with a 9-iron or something like that, and everybody thought that's a fake video. It's like, nobody could do that. Well, go to, you go to YouTube. You should see the things they're doing now. It's actually amazing. But some people still watch that and say, no, it's trick photography. It's not really real. This is what Jesus was encountering with these guys, but it was about a, a, a whole other realm, a whole other realm where it was hard for us to imagine that people perceive in this realm more than we do because somehow the egocentric nature of the fallen flesh is, I am at the pinnacle of everything that can be, though I'd never say that. <laughs> I just believe it. That's why we can feel overlooked when we're not given that job that we never deserved. <laughs> right? Because we don't evaluate ourselves correctly. So, 
I mean, the, the extent of this goes so far. I mean, it, the, the application, if we would stop believing that we are the measure of what can and can't be done. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, I'd never do that. In fact, I, I believe myself on the, on the tail end, and so that, therefore I never try because I don't think it's impossible, and not that I don't believe, but anyway, that's another issue. We'll preach on that next week, maybe. But there is a remedy. There is a remedy. And it's not in complete ignorance. It's not by becoming naive. It's not by becoming, thinking that everything everybody says is absolutely gospel. Because the truth is, there's a lot of people that get around the world where, you know, angels and visions and the prophetic is happening, and they, they do pretend to have experiences they didn't have. Okay, so yeah, that does happen out there. But that's not what we're worried about. We're worried about the lion's share of what can be seen, can be perceived, being left to us because we believe we see more than what we do. Or we just don't believe that anybody should or could have the ability to perceive in those dimensions. I want to give you hope. And I want to strike at that perverse self-confidence that makes you uh, doubt everybody and become a cynic because God is looking for people to whom he wants to give more. Father, let's just close our eyes for a second. Father, right now, if there was ever a moment where you saw somebody in ministry who had an anointing that you thought they didn't deserve, I want you to repent. Jesus said a man can receive nothing unless it be given to him from above. And so this whole idea that we can continuously question God, because that's what we're doing, we're questioning God when somebody has an authentic anointing and they have poor character around that anointing, there's a reason they got it. And they'll lose it because of the poor character, because God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. But to question the validity of that anointing based on our preference of, of ourselves over them, there's something darker in that than just poor quality, poor character. We're questioning the Almighty himself. And many people stand in the shadows who are called to more, but have become cynics and accusers and critics. So, Father, we pray that you would break every bit of that criticism, that cynicism, that accusation of us. Father, we refuse today to partner with the enemy. We refuse to partner with suspicion and fear in Jesus' name. Now, What's the cost of going for more vision? You have to be willing to look stupid. That's the main thing. You have to be willing to be fooled. You have to be willing to look foolish. And that's why Paul said, he said, he said we are fools for Christ's sake because the Corinthian church were all trying to get sophisticated and wise and you know, elevated in how they're perceived. And, and for Paul's first thing to them was like, have you guys looked at your own resumes? 
You know, you you guys are the low caste of the the culture. Not many noble, not many intelligent. You know, just to be honest. (laughs) And he said, no, we want to be fools for Christ. If you want to go into this world, you have to step out on the water. And the risk of stepping out of the water is you have to get it wrong. You might, or you might get it wrong, I mean. I mean, Peter stepped out, and maybe they laughed at him when he sunk. But he's like, I took eight more steps than you ever took. We look at people and we think, wow, I don't want to be naive. I don't want to believe everything that's coming out of people's mouths. Right? Well, you don't have to start there. Start with people that are sound in their doctrine, stable in their faith, whose character is of good report, and begin there. Because there is discernment and vision and perception beyond that. The the reluctance to risk is often in our fear. In, in, in our fear that will somehow be diminished. And, uh, and part of what that is, and if you go back to the Pharisees, their issue is this. They were so well aware of the pecking order. I mean, the pecking order, the, uh, the, the rising and falling in the esteem of the culture of the day, they, they lived for that. And that equivalent thing is surrounding us right now. And, but here's the, here's the beautiful part. It doesn't matter because God is the one that promotes. So let's stand up together. We want to, uh, we want to make a basic commitment today. We're asking God for sight. We're asking God for sight. So let's start by doing this. Let's start believing that the person to our left and right might authentically see more than us. They may not, in your eyes, deserve to see more than you. But let's start there by saying, admitting, I don't even know what the characteristics are that would give, cause God to give me something. I have a value system And I've judged all those around me based on that value system that evidently God does not share. Let's start right there. Let's lay that down. Father, your apostle said you've chosen those, those things which are not to confound those things that are. You've chosen the foolish things to confound the wise. Father, we lay down all of our sophisticated analysis of who should get what right now in Jesus' name. We want to say, Lord, that our system, our value system is illegitimate and we lay it at the foot of the cross and we say, God, give us your value system. Give us the qualities of full-heartedness that unlock the doors of sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Father, give us eyes to see today.